Welcome to Bible study. It's very good to be with you again, and thank you for tuning in with us. It's good to be back also myself, uh, and thank you, Len, for standing in for me last time. And uh, today we have a panel of five here. And first of all, I would like to welcome Andrew. Andrew is the first time with us, and thank you for coming in, Andrew. You're welcome. It's good to be here. And Janet, thank you for coming back. Good morning. Will, thank you for being part of this panel. It's a pleasure. And Len, our facilitator today, um, thank you very much, Len, for uh, putting together uh, this study again. And uh, I'll just hand it straight to you right now. Hello, listeners. This week we're doing the 11th Bible study from the book of Acts, and it's entitled Paul's Arrest in Jerusalem. Last week we learned about the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey, overland and by ship from Antioch right around to Corinth in Greece from A.D. 53 through to A.D. 57. As well as encouraging and strengthening the church groups already established, many new converts became Christians. And, of course, there were riots and problems associated with Christianity upsetting established practices in some areas. And then there were the ever-present Jews many of whom stubbornly held on to their traditional beliefs and practices and who were not happy with the message being taught about Jesus. This week we'll see how Paul was taken captive again because of Jewish agitators. There was also a fundamental issue of contention because Jewish Christians were displeased that the Gentile Christians were not required to be circumcised. And before we go any further, we're going to have a little prayer and Jeanette is going to lead us in prayer. Thank you, Jeanette. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. And today, as we look at these stories, these stories from history, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit will help us to understand not only this story, but to understand you and the way that you like to relate to us as humans. And we just pray for your Holy Spirit to guide our minds in this understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, Andrew, with such a successful missionary campaign in southern Europe and Asia Minor, why did Paul want to leave and go back to Jerusalem? Well, I can think of uh, three possible reasons. Number one, Paul was a Jew. And Jerusalem to a Jew is a very important city and he just wanted to go back to maybe touch base with his roots again. And number two, obviously in Jerusalem the temple was there and it was always good for a Jew to see the temple again. But I think probably there's a third and more compelling reason because when I read the story in scripture, um, Paul actually says this. He says, and now I am going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit. So it seems then that the Holy Spirit was urging him to return to Jerusalem. Yes, there was something that needed to happen. Mm. And we'll find out later on mm. what it was that happened. Now, at previous times, when Paul was introduced to the church leaders in Jerusalem, there was a certain amount of suspicion but this time it tells that the church leaders received Paul warmly. Why was that, Jeanette? 
Well, I guess that by now he was um, tried and tested. He'd been on a few journeys. He'd brought many people to the Lord. And the church leaders would have um, felt encouraged that he was actually genuine now, I suppose. The Bible says in Acts 21 verses 17 to 19 that when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us, which means Luke must have been with them as well, went to see James and all the elders were present. Just that word James cheers me up because obviously that's James, Jesus' brother, who originally had been against Christianity but now seemed to be the leader of the church. And all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So it it seems as though the actual church leaders were quite happy for him to be doing things amongst the Gentiles, unlike the Jews, as we'll see later on. So the Christian church consisted of converted Jews and converted Gentiles. But this brought about a problem. And Will, what was the problem that existed in the church? I'm sure that Paul coming back would have been quite warmed by their reception, but they would throw cold water on him when they told him what was actually happening at the church. And uh, verse uh, 20 of Acts 21 puts it pretty well. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? So that was a good question. What shall we do? They didn't quite know what to do because of this Jewish heritage that many believers had. And uh, something was proposed. What was it that was proposed at that time, Andrew? It's interesting then, maybe just before we go there, what what Will read wasn't actually true. Um, Because I don't think Paul told the Jews that they didn't have to circumcise their children. Um, They'd sort of taken the truth that that Paul said and expanded it. And so there was a lot of untruth there. But nevertheless, what they proposed was this, and I'll I'll read um, the story from Scripture. It's in Acts Acts 21, starting at verse 23. It says, uh, in my Bible, which I have the Living Bible um, paraphrase, we have four men here who are preparing to shave their heads and take some vows, which must have been a, a real Jewish thing to do. Go with them to the temple and have your head shaved as well and pay for theirs to be shaved. So that was the idea. Then it says, Then everyone will know that you approve for this custom for the Hebrew Christians and that you yourself obey the Jewish laws and are in line with our thinking in these matters. And so that was the idea that Paul go to the temple, that he join in in this Jewish ceremony, and people who'd say that say, oh, look at Paul, he's actually following Jewish laws and Jewish customs. So maybe all this stuff that we've heard is not true. So that's what they proposed to do. Do you think they were doing that because they wanted the Jews to actually listen to Paul and they wanted to remove all the barriers that they thought might be there? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. Mm. And uh, as um, Andrew, you pointed out a bit earlier that uh, I don't think so Paul was doing that. Uh, considering that in previous studies we we talked about how they came to Jerusalem to address the issue of circumcision and they have uh, approval, you know, from uh, from the council there to put some restrictions, you know, to the Gentiles people, but not to bother them in yeah. in that aspect. I believe that at this stage, even the leaders in Jerusalem, they were trying to be more politically correct rather than uh, uh, what they heard about, you know, the rumors and uh, because people could come and say all sorts of things about Paul, what mm. he is doing. And as you said, make that uh, in a big, uh, big issue. Mm. But as the study will, uh, will develop, will understand that God was guiding all these things for a reason. Yeah, but you know what? Part of me thinks that maybe this wasn't such a really good idea. I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I don't know. Maybe put it getting Paul to go to the temple, which where things could just blow up in an instant, maybe wasn't, as you said, wasn't such a, a wise idea. Well, regardless of whether it was good, bad or indifferent, it happened. It happened, yeah. And um, so the idea, these people took vows... And there was also talking about a purification. Why or what did Paul and those others need purification from, Will? I'd like to read a statement on this. It says, having accepted the church leader's suggestion, Paul would need to undergo a seven-day ritual, a ritual purification, to assist the completion of the men's vow. That's uh, in Numbers 19, 11 to 13, the reference. At the same time, Jewish tradition stipulated that any person coming from Gentile lands would be unclean and so unable to enter the temple. This is why Paul had to purify himself before going to the priests to give notice of his purification process related to the Nazarites. So previously we heard about any, any Jew who'd gone into Samaria was regarded as polluted by simply walking on their soil. Mm. And Paul had gone not just, just to Samaria, he'd gone to Greece and various places in Asia Minor, in Turkey. And so this was showing the Jews that he was not against the Jewish religion and the Jewish culture. It's just that the Gentiles were not required to do certain things that the Jewish culture taught. Mm. Well, anyhow, so they went to the temple and they were undergoing this purification business. How did it go, Jeanette? Well, I'll let my New International Version Bible tell the story from Acts 21 verses 27 down to 33. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul, and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, 
News reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Interesting, he arrests him and then asks him, what have you done? Yes, well, it's like <coughs> somebody said to me once, the Chinese army, shoot first, ask the questions afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, these accusations they made, were they true, Andrew? No, not really. You know, maybe there might have been a little grain of truth, but you know what crowd mentality does. Mob hysteria took over, and these people were incredibly volatile, and it, they, it, it just grew. And I was interested when Jeanette read from Scripture, the whole city was involved. This just didn't happen in just a, a little corner of the temple. Um, the whole, it, it just spilled over from the temple into the whole city. And everyone was just electrified by what had happened. And, and the rumours grew and people talked and people yelled. And uh, who knows what was said, but certainly there, it, it grew from maybe a little seed of truth to just a whole lot of conjecture. Well, it's quite obvious that the rumours were responsible for this riot. Yes. And uh, it wasn't a civil action. It was a religious thing. And we are subject to rumours from time to time. Um, panel, is there any danger in acting on rumours? Do we have our own stories to refer to? <laughs> Absolutely. And other people's stories to refer to? The, the thing with rumours is that bit like Chinese whispers, only worse, because when, when we hear something, we immediately bring our whole life experience and our, our whole life story to those words and invest it with a meaning that it, it may not originally have even had. And then the next person hears those words and does the same thing. And sooner or later, the, the story is absolutely unrecognisable from the original event. Yeah. And just uh, when you think about those two words, rumor and crowd, it's a perfect recipe for disaster, you know, uh -huh. when, uh, because when you have people, as uh, Andrew just mentioned, you know, uh, the whole city or lots of people, it's very easy to spark just a, a, yeah. a thing there. And put in the third word too, as you said, Len, religion, crowd, rumor, religion, boom, it's mm. going to go. Nothing okay. new, just watch the news a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what I was thinking, just to to take a point from uh, from here, because uh, was mentioned about uh, Paul and his preparation to enter into the temple, you know, to prepare himself. Just think about Len. You mentioned about the the Jewish people not allowed even to, you know to cross in in Samaria, and Jesus himself went through in Samaria, and he went into the temple after that. Isn't that true? Yeah. Mm. And you know, Paul now is preaching the gospel about Jesus and his ministry, and here he's not as bold as he used to be in his mi uh, missionary journeys. Mm. He probably took a step back a little bit and got caught into this uh, politically correctness, as I said a bit earlier, and that was, in my opinion, was a mistake from Paul. But he actually had grown up in Jerusalem the customs and the cultural mores of the of the other people that he'd been visiting were not his. 
and he didn't own them and they weren't ingrained into his system. But as soon as he went home to Jerusalem, his brain probably just reverted to what he'd been taught as a child. He was back in his own familiar territory and all those old familiar ways of behaving were came so naturally and he completely thoroughly understood his own culture and had had been trained I guess all through his life where not to put a foot wrong and what was acceptable and and what wasn't so as Jesus said a prophet doesn't have honor in his own country mm. yeah probably he was just a bit overwhelmed there mm. <laughs> well you know, it's very easy to start a rumor I remember some years ago when um, the Chamberlain case was on and uh, talking in the staff room one day um, because there had been news reports and there was this news report that Azaria means lost in the desert or mm. something like that. And I remember talking with one of the uh, staff members. Oh, she said, Lindy's, Lindy's guilty for sure. Because in this case, the rumour was started by the press. Mm. And it's very easy to get caught up in a rumour mm. and the way to avoid that is to find out the facts first before deciding on any action. Mm, absolutely. A lot of young people today are um, really troubled by uh, bullying yeah. online especially and much of this bullying happens as a, state, as a result of a single statement or a rumour about a person and they suffer from mm. it for the rest of their lives. Yeah. It's a, it's a horrible thing. Now, Andrew was talking about crowd hysteria before, and uh, we're aware of the fact that the, this uh, crowd hysteria is a psychological phenomena mm -hmm. that exists. And last week we talked about mm. when I was involved and Helen spoke when she was involved. Without thinking about it, you just get caught up in the moment. What did the crowd try to do? Well, they got hold of Paul and they said, well, let's kill this guy, you know. not Probably many of them didn't really know why, but they were caught up in the emotion of the thing and they tried to kill him. That's what Scripture says, doesn't it? Mm. All right, Will, would you read Acts chapter 21, verse 37, right through to Acts 22, verse 2? Yes, before I read it, it made me think of a, an incident in Durban when there was a riot, a television crew came to certain people and asked them what it all was all about and uh, many of the people participating uh, admitted that they didn't know but <laughs> they joined they joined what was happening just out of the yeah. crowd pressure I'd like to read uh, um, acts 21 verse 37 paul addressing the crowd now after they wanted to kill him as the soldiers were about to take paul into the barracks he asked the commander May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you an Egyptian? The Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago. Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. They were all silent. He said to, when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, 
Listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Mm. Mm. So you've answered the question, why were they quiet? Because Paul was not this Egyptian terrorist. He was one of their own. And so they listened to him till a certain point of time, and we'll deal with that soon. What did Paul say to the crowd, Jeanette? Um, but just before I want to go on to that, the, the power of using one's own language has come out here twice in those last few verses because when he spoke to the commander, he used Greek. But when he spoke to the Jews, he used Aramaic. I think that for those of us who are interested in, in you know, spreading the gospel of Jesus over the world, it's, it's important to try and learn people's local languages so that you're really talking to their hearts. Probably. Yeah, probably yourself you can speak a bit, a bit of pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can we just say before we get there, because there are, the crowd was about to kill Paul, and the next minute we've got him speaking to them in Aramaic, as you're about to read to us, Jeanette. Somewhere there the Romans got involved, the, the Roman army came in, because, you know, and I need to remember that the whole city's involved in this. This is a huge uproar. So the soldiers get involved, they... They force their way through the crowd. They grab Paul and rescue him. And they take him, I think, to the garrison or the armory, as some, some versions say. Um, and that's where Paul, you know, made his speech, I think, on the steps of the, of the garrison. Is that right, Jeanette? Mm, yes. and, then, and then away he went. So it's interesting that Paul, a Jew, was actually rescued. You know, he was, he was in trouble because of his views about Gentiles, but now he is being rescued by Gentiles, and that affords him a chance to speak, which I find quite interesting. Yes, probably the Roman commander also thought, well, this is not that Egyptian troublemaker. This yeah, is yeah, somebody yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's up to me to protect this person and find out what's the truth. Mm. And even up to this point, um, we we can draw a bit, bit of a conclusion there that the enemy, you know, Satan, is behind orchestrating all these things. You know, even though we may find uh, faults in how Paul approached at first, you know, that uh, gathering, you know, and but now Paul is coming to his senses, you know, and say, okay, I need to really speak for mm. myself now mm. and tell these people. And amazingly that he speaks about his conversion, mm. his yes. testimony. Mm. Which I was just going to ask Jeanette, mm. what did Paul speak about? That was exactly it. He, standing there with the chain dangling from him and blood dripping off him and bruises all over him from being beaten, he told them this this story about. Um, do you want me to read it, Len? It's very long. But no, just no. Just but um, it. It, it's interesting that there's three times Paul, the the story of Paul's conversion is told in the Bible. The first time is in Acts chapter nine when it actually happened. This is the second time, and then later on when he's speaking to a gripper, I think it was, he told the story again, and each time he gives a little bit more detail on mm. the story. So in this case, he, he just told the whole story starting that he was born in Tarsus, but he actually didn't grow up there. He grew up under Gamaliel, and, that, and he included that because it was very relevant. He was speaking to Jews. 
And so it was very relevant that, that they knew that Gamaliel, a very well-respected um, leader in the Jewish community, had been his teacher. And um, then he told about how he'd been off persecuting people, and that was, that was relevant as well. He was explaining to them, I wasn't always on this side of the fence. And then he tells them what happened and how Jesus actually spoke to him from heaven and asked him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And when he asked him who he is, he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And for Paul, there was nothing else that really mattered except this experience that mm -hmm. he hadn't believed Jesus, but now Jesus was actually talking to him. And he told him, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you've been assigned to do. And then he tells how it happened. He, and he said, the God of our fathers, uh, this was Ananias, when he went to Ananias, Ananias said to him, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And then um, Ananias had said to him, What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And then Jesus said to him, um, when he was at the temple, he fell into a trance, and Jesus said, Quick, leave Jerusalem immediately, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And then he said to them, the next thing that Jesus said to him, Go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And that's when the trouble really mm. began. So it's always good when you're talking to somebody who might be an unbeliever or something to share your own experience. Mm -hmm. They know where you're coming from. They know that it's not some magic wand waving and suddenly you've turned from this. They can see the path that you've taken. And in as we speak to other people about our own Christian experience, it's good to start right there and share how it was with us. And that's non-threatening too. All right, the people were very quiet. Mm. And then suddenly something happened. Andrew, what yeah, happened? Well, it's interesting. When, when people tell their own story, people listen. And so they were quiet because they followed the whole story. Mm. But then, as Jeanette said, when he got up to the bit and he said in, in my Bible, but God said to me, leave Jerusalem, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles and to a Jew. That was just anathema. And the crowd who'd been silent, they just totally erupted. And uh, that's where they, they lost the plot again. Right. It's clear that um, these people were, um, they had a strong uh, national identity and a religious identity and they mm. they did not it, there was a strong exclusivity here they didn't want to include the Gentiles much and that's why when uh, Paul came to the statement that um, I was sent to the Gentiles they were up in arms again yeah. because will they believe that that God was only their God yes they yeah. believed that the scripture was only their scripture and that salvation was only for the Jews everyone else was had nothing to do with it. And yeah. the original problem yeah. was what he'd been telling the Gentiles and telling the Jews that lived amongst the Gentiles. And at the mention of that word, it brought it all back again. That's why we are annoyed with you. Yes. 
By the way, if I can just say that I'm glad Paul kept going because I'm a Gentile yes, and, and I've heard the good news of the gospel. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I right. think of the text actually um, where uh, the Apostle Paul says, the love of Christ constraineth us. Oh, yeah. um, he couldn't but tell uh, the Gentiles the good news of Jesus Christ. How could he keep quiet? Yeah, exactly. Well, the, yeah. There's, a, there's a really clear example here of, of what we as humans are like. Once we've, you know, sort of been enculturated into a certain way of thinking, mm. Mm. it is very, very difficult for us to get out of it. It's true. And it creates an awful lot of anger and angst um, from other people if you dare to put your toe over the cultural line. Yes. Well, the riot re-erupted. So what did the Roman commander do, Andrew? Well, as a, a typical, I guess, soldier's response, let's, let's flog Paul, we'll get the truth out of him, <laughs> whatever the truth was. So that's what he decided to do. Um, do you want me to read the scripture? Yes, you can. Um, 22, here it is. So the commander brought him... Oh, I'll read the first bit. The crowd listened until Paul came to that word then. That's the Gentile word. Then with one voice they shouted, Away with such a fellow, kill him, he isn't fit to live. They yelled and threw their coats in the air and tossed up hands fulls of dust. So they, these guys were out of control. So the commander brought him inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. So mob mentality rules again. Uh. So before the flogging began, Jeanette, what did the what did Paul say to the centurion? As they were actually stretching him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen <laughs> who mm. hasn't even been found guilty? Oops. <laughs> Oops, yeah, that's right. <laughs> And this so, is the second time that Paul's done this, isn't it? That mm. We've seen in previous discussions that he goes on to his Roman citizenship to try and get himself out of trouble or to make sure everything's right. Well, it yeah. worked. Yeah. It worked. Well, and it so what truth. happened then, yeah. Jeanette? Uh, when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. So then the commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. And then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. Mm. Ah, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. So being a citizen, panel, of any country, and here in this case with the Romans in control, what, what rights does a citizen have under the government of a particular country? Depends which country, Len. <laughs> if you are under a communist uh, regime, you know, you may not have too many rights. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, first of all, you have the right to be trial, you know, to have a trial, a proper trial, and to uh, prove yourself innocent, if that's the case. But just I would like to bring back, just for a moment, when Paul was advised by his fellow man and other people not to go to Jerusalem because he could get in trouble, he said something amazing. He said, you know what, don't try to stop me. Even, mm. even though I had to die there, I'm willing to go to Jerusalem and die. And here we can see him using everything possible 
to escape, if you like. That's not to die. Not to die. Yeah. But that's an interesting thing, I believe. Mm-hmm. Because we need to use any opportunity to witness for the Lord, not to just give ourselves in, in mm. and, and uh, just say, oh, I'm a martyr, you know, mm. I'm, you know I die for God. Mm. Paul is using everything what he can, and he's not uh, denying anything of the truth or something like that to, to spare his life, but he's using every opportunity that he may talk to people. Well, he was a legitimate citizen of that country, and I guess he didn't want to, to um, be part of them breaking the law either because, remember, Rome was actually occupying um, Israel at that time and only a very few of the Jews would have been actual Roman citizens. So it was quite... Uh, and, and Paul knew his rights as mm. a Roman citizen and that he was under the protection of the Roman government so he also needed to protect them from doing something that was wrong as well. Even today, Len, I know of people that have dual citizenship, um, both of Australia and um, another country where uh, things are a little in turmoil. And um, when advised, uh, when when starting their journey, their trip overseas, they were advised to use... Uh, to go on the Australian passport mm. because if they got into trouble, they would get less protection from the uh, the smaller yeah. government. Yeah, good mm. point. Mm. Well, this particular riot was all about desecration of the temple and the Jewish customs and so on. It wasn't the first riot Paul was involved in. There were a couple of others. Just quickly, Andrew, would yeah. you like to tell us what a couple I, of others I think were? I remember then someone saying that wherever Paul went, there was either a revival <laughs> or a riot. Um, and I can think of one that happened in, um, was it Iconium, um, where the, the Jews again caused up trouble and they, they beat him so badly they left him for dead. And then there was another one in Ephesus um, where... Um, Demetrius and his fellow silversmiths thought that their business of making shrines to Artemis was in jeopardy because of what Paul was teaching. So again, they they caused a riot, and it's interesting. In that one, they went to the um, theatre. They went to the theatre, and and they yelled for two hours, and some of them didn't even know what what why they were there. Oh, typically, yeah. Um, so yeah, wherever Paul went, there were there were always problems. So yes, he was probably used to this. Uh, interesting right that at the basis of an awful lot of these riots, there was loss of money. Mm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it was interesting. The the riot in Ephesus was about Artemis or mm. Diana. Mm. I happened to have an air rifle called a Diana, and I was looking at it the other day, and there it's got a little picture of a goddess. Oh, really? Yeah, with a bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, let's move on. Uh, From Acts chapter 23 and verses 1 to 3, and I'll read this. The Roman commander had organised that when things had quietened down, that Paul could speak directly to the Jewish leaders to the Sanhedrin. And this uh, takes up the story where he's in front of the Sanhedrin. Acts 23, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience, to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, 
you whitewashed wall? You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Now, this is an interesting thing, that uh, these Jewish leaders were using the law to punish somebody, but they were breaking the law in doing that particular Mm -hmm. punishment. Mm. Was that order that the high priest made to punch Paul in the mouth appropriate? Andrew? No, I don't think it was. I mean, this is the Sanhedrin. I mean, this is the this is the highest assembly in the country. And Paul is there hoping to be given a fair hearing and a good hearing. And he, he only says about, what, a dozen or so words. And he says, Brothers, I've always lived before God in all good conscience. And that, for some reason, riled Ananias. Mm. And he responded by saying, you know, hit him in the mouth. So I think that was completely inappropriate. That was completely out of order, and and it was completely wrong. No, yeah. you could have hit him on the nose, or in the eye, or on the ear. But even so, it was why still was wrong. The, why on the mouth? I wonder. I wonder whether the his interpretation as a Jew would not have been when he said, um, "I have fulfilled my duty to God." They may have thought, wait a minute, you're not doing a duty to God by including the Gentiles. Okay. Ah, yes. All right. A good point, Will. Mm. Well, I would ask, answer my own question. Why hit him in the mouth to mm. shut him up? That yeah. was the offending part. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And this is so silly to have a fair trial and then not be allowed to speak. Mm. You've probably heard of other cases where a judge has been biased. Does anybody know of a situation like that? Well, you yourself were speaking of the Chamberlains before. There was, I Long feel, a, a lot yeah. of bias in in that case. Mm. And, you know, judges are human too. Yeah. What things might sway a judge? And I, I would hate to have to be a judge in a court of law because well, there would be influences that I could probably not help and I'd have to be very guarded. What sort of things would sway a judge? Well, in, in this day and age, media are onto things straight away, and uh, they give their version of, of events. And if we're honest with ourselves, the media is not always subjective, and they always put their own slant mm-hmm. on it. And, and as you said, being a human being, you hear this over and over and over again, and you can't help but be influenced what you hear on the media. Mm. Um, and and um, more than that, um, when you think about the way that movies are made, if you if it's particularly a movie that wants to put across a particular message, usually it will begin with the main character's story and point of view to sort of give you an unconscious bias towards being on that person's side throughout mm. the story so that what they're doing is the right thing usually. I guess in the case of judges, sometimes they don't know the story at all. So the first one they hear tends to put the spin spin Mm. on the story and and that's the angle from which they will look at it ever ever after that. They plant the seed. Mm. Len, I wonder how many people have been wrongfully convicted Mm. by judges and juries simply because of a lack of evidence or the evidence comes later and they realize that that person needs to go free. Yeah. 
Well, it happened recently, didn't it? Mm-hmm. I had a situation once <clears throat> in uh, a class that I taught. There were two best friends, girls. Anyhow, something happened between them and they fell out. And as the uh, teacher, it was kind of up to me to try to heal this rift. And anyhow, I took sides. And I realised later this was a big mistake to take sides. And I learned a big lesson from that. You have to hear the evidence first Mm. before making up your opinion. Yeah, actually, Mm. Len, can I just put something in there? Because during I was a teacher, but during the course of my career, I morphed into a a school counsellor, chaplain. And I spent many, many, many hours doing exactly what you were doing, sorting out the problems between two sides. And um, I I did learn that when you gave each side a fair hearing in the presence of the other one, it was very therapeutic and actually very healing for Mm. them to hear the story from the other person's point of view and out of their heart and out of what I used to call their filing cabinet. The, the sense that they made of a situation was totally different from what the other one had. So there's, there's a positive side to this in that if you can bring yourself to listen to another person's story over the same incident, you might get some insights about yeah. what happened. Good point. Well, so here was Paul. Right from the beginning, the high priest was showing his bias. Paul was eventually, uh, eventually allowed to speak. What tactic did he employ there, Will? Well, he um, he played to the situation for sure. It says um, in verse 6, Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. And this <laughs> caused an upheaval. Yeah. So it wasn't the Sanhedrin against Paul then, it was the Sanhedrin against the Sanhedrin, yes. or parts thereof. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it's interesting how polarised people can be on religious issues. And I was just thinking that Paul is just using their own uh, ammunition, you know, and uh, and throw that thing in. Uh, as you just mentioned, um, well, one thing caught my attention from that verse that uh, when he said that I'm a, f- I'm a Pharisee, and not just only a Pharisee, but the son of a mm. Pharisee, mm. which means that his uh, father was a Pharisee. Yes. You know, uh, even though we don't know much about Paul's uh, family, but he's bringing everything. And I can see here again the um, aspect of strong influence. Because these people, they were uh, judging in accordance with their interests. Yeah. And uh, Paul is playing with their cards, to say so. You know? He's been very clever, really, very yeah. wise. He, he lost the situation at the beginning when they, when they hit him in the mouth, but now he regains actually control of the whole meeting. Mm. So full marks to Paul. <laughs> All right, well, here was Paul involved <coughs> right in the middle of uh, a cyclone almost, and um, but he received some encouragement, Andrew. What was that encouragement? Where did it come from? Well, the meeting ends with no real conclusion, and so I guess he's wondering what's going to happen next. And the encouragement comes from 
God himself. And let me read it to us uh, from Scripture because it's really, really good. That night, the Lord stood beside Paul and he said, Don't worry, Paul. Just as you have told the people about me here in Jerusalem, so you must also do in Rome. So the Lord reassured him that he was with him and that he was going to go beyond Jerusalem. This was not going to be the end of his mm. testimony. Mm. He was going to be able to go to Rome. Well, I guess Sanhedrin slept on it at night and somebody cooked up an idea. Will cooked up a plan to murder Paul. How was this going to be achieved? Would you like to read Acts 23, 12 to 15? Acts chapter 23, verses 12 to 15. The next morning the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you uh, on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. All right, so here they were. They never got what they wanted, either in the riot or when Paul was speaking to them, so they cooked up something else. Why? What motivated them, Jeanette? I guess we've been covering a little bit um, as we've been talking, just the differences um, between them. It's what motivates all humans and all fights just about is that we're different, that we've got a different story, we started in a different place, and religion particularly seems to bring this out because there's so much else invested in it. Um, you know, we taught of, of the great importance of, of um, by our parents of the, our religious beliefs, and so that adds something to it. Mm. I think that's a very good point there, um, uh, how sometimes we can be caught into this uh, debate because of the tradition. Be, uh, in this case, you know, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you know, Sadducees just believe in the first five books, you know, of the Bible. That, no resurrection. You know, no resurrection there. The, the Pharisee, on the other hand, they believed in uh, resurrection. And from that point, you know, they diminished, if you like, the most important truth of knowing Jesus and following Jesus. And even, even people who probably had a good understanding because they just witnessed not so many years back uh, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were still hooked into their own way of being, you know, mm. traditions. Now, is that a lesson for us to take today? We have examples during the the great uh, Reformation time, you know, there were churches coming up. And I will say, for example, Lutherans, they will say at some point, if Luther haven't told us that, we don't receive it, even if somebody else will come and tell a further truth. Can we be today hooked into that sort of thinking? 
of just uh, whoever we are. Mm. Can we be more open-minded to preach the gospel and not to be stuck into the differences? I, th I think Paul actually learned that after he tried to reason on uh, Mars Hill about them and all of their other gods and he, you know, he tried to sort out the differences between what he believed and what they believed. But then in the next chapter it, it says, and we look, would have looked at it last week, I'm determined to know nothing amongst you except Jesus and him crucified. Yeah. And um, Jesus himself, when he was on earth, did not spend time putting down the other world religions, which would have been in the world at his time. He just spoke about his father and that he'd come down from heaven and that he'd come to save mm. the world. And so he just said, I am the truth, and that was it. I want to tell you a true story. We have some good friends who live in Victoria. Been friends with them for decades. We were talking about some religious issues one time, and this question came up. If, although they were Roman Catholics, by the way, if the Pope said that you were to kill Seventh-day Adventists, would you kill us? These are good friends. Well, the answer was yes. Really? Mm. I couldn't believe it. It's good friends, mind you. And some of you might have experienced some religious intolerance too. And, of course, there's plenty of that around these days. Anyone got something to share? Otherwise, we'll keep going. Paul's nephew gets spoken of, Andrew, in Acts 23:16. What? How does Paul's nephew get involved in this? It's interesting that God didn't want Paul to die at this stage because he said, hey, you're going to be my witness in Rome. So God uses any anybody he can and he uses this young nephew, and it says in my Bible, but Paul's nephew got wind of their plan. And he came to the garrison, and he told Paul. And then Paul um, said to call the officer, and uh, the boy was taken to the commander, and the commander got the truth of the story from Paul's nephew. Uh, it says in my Bible, the commander took the boy by the hand and leading him aside asked, what do you want to tell me, lad? Tomorrow, he told him, the Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the council again, pretending they want to get some more information. But don't do it, because there are more than 40 men hiding along the road, and they're ready to jump him and kill him. They have bound themselves under a curse to neither eat or drink till he's dead. They're out there now expecting you to agree to their request. So this boy somehow found out about it and he tells Paul, and Paul tells the commander, and the commander takes over. Do you reckon that happened by chance, Andrew? No. I think I think God God says, it's not time yet. We've got to do something here. Yeah. And so he used this whole situation to rescue Paul. Well, I was going to ask you, when his nephew revealed what the um, Jews were going to do, I wonder if the thought crossed his mind or probably stayed in his mind that the Lord had promised that he would give his testimony in Rome. Mm. Yes, and just the night, uh, or was it the night before, that yep. um, the Lord had stood near yeah, Paul I, I and it, said, yeah. take courage. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, so Paul was to be transferred to Caesarea to be judged by the 
provincial governor Felix. What measures were taken by the Roman commander to ensure Paul was not ambushed on the way? Well, um, I think, Jeanette, you read it at verse 23. Then he called uh, two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready and attack the detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. It's strange to me that uh, while 40 men were, were uh, organized to, to kill Paul, the Lord now uh, provides through Rome... Um, this large, 470 people to protect. <laughs> well, uh, what do you think about these 40 men who had vowed not to eat and drink? Um, this contingent of soldiers and cavalry came along. Um, do you think they would have gone hungry? or They would have starved for a while, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Being the type of people they were, I don't think it would have lasted all that long once, <clears throat> once they saw it was hopeless. Well, God used the civil and government authorities to protect his servant, Paul. Mm. And next week, we're going to learn about Paul's trial before Governor Felix. And this is really exciting, and I hope you'll tune in, listeners, to hear what happened. Panel, it's almost time for us to finish. Does anybody have a message, a take-home message, to give to our listeners as a result of this study today? Mm. Here's one, Lynn. No matter where we are, no matter what is happening to us, God has promised to be with us and guide us, and he will. Does that mean we'll always be safe and unharmed? Well, that was mine. When Jesus calls us, he doesn't promise us a life on a bed of roses. There is no guarantee when we follow Jesus. In fact, there's more of a guarantee that there'll be no trouble. There's more of a guarantee there will because when you're um, with Jesus, you're going against the tide. What jumped out to me was that God used in this whole plan a young man that was so small that uh, they held, led him by the hand. God has a place for uh, young people in his work today, mm. even children. Mm. What about you, Nick? You got one? It's, uh, Len, it all depends of what we are thinking of. If we're thinking of ourselves... You know, we may uh, struggle, we may be afraid of some situations, but if we think of Jesus, mm -hmm. if we trust in Jesus, then our life uh, is in his hands and we'll be assured that he will take care of us. Just saying that, during the week, I was just studying Bible with uh, a Catholic lady and all her family kind of, you know, against her because she's fine finding her way, you know, to follow Jesus more. But I saw joy on her face. I saw confidence and I was so inspired to see uh, somebody who is eager to follow Jesus, to know Jesus more, how confident can be even though the whole family can be against. Mm. It all comes down to that really personal relationship with Jesus, with really knowing Jesus like Paul did. And because he'd seen Jesus, he'd known him, he'd been with him, he was willing to 
to um, do anything to, to tell others about that love and that goodness. What I was going to say is probably being said in other ways, but I believe as we commit our lives to the Lord, it doesn't really matter what happens to us. Yeah. The end result is he promises eternal life. Absolutely. Well, that's the end of this week's study, but before we go off air, listeners, I'd like us to have a little prayer. Mm. Father in heaven, this has been an exciting and interesting study, how you worked in the life of your servant, Paul. And it's also exciting and interesting how you work in our lives. Might we be faithful to you no matter what. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, panel, for uh, being part of this uh, discussion. And uh, until next time, as Len just pointed out, uh, we hope that uh, all of you will be inspired and to go back to the Bible, particularly in the book of Acts, and find for yourself even more of these stories. Uh, thank you, Pastor uh, Andrew, for coming with us today. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Pastor Will. Thank you, Jeanette and Len. All of us, including myself, uh, wish you blessed day and uh, if you want to join some of this bible study live you can ring us and we can organize something but you can visit any of the seven day adventist churches every sabbath morning saturday morning from usually from 9 30 but some churches may have this bible study at 11 o'clock we invite you to visit us may god bless you